0: In just a few weeks, I'm gonna be able to say for the rest of my life that I have been a teacher for at least half of my life. I haven't always done things the best way, and I'm gonna share with you eight things that I have learned that have helped me to become a better teacher. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 52. My name is David Lane, I'm your host, and it is great to be with you once again. Slowly but surely, my studio is coming together in my new location, and uh, I'm, I'm starting to like it. I think I already like it better than I did my old studio, and yet I still have some things left to do. As I said at the end of episode number 51, The rest of this month is going to feature some solo episodes that are a little bit more on the short side. I don't know how short they'll be, but these are just some episodes that I will hope will motivate you in some way, give you some information that maybe you didn't have, or maybe you did have, but it gives you a different way to think about some things. And also continues to give me a little bit more time uh, to get organized to finish some arranging and recording projects. And of course this December I am going to be playing live a few times. I've already had a couple of live performances, have a few more coming up. Anyway, I'm about five or six weeks away. I actually don't remember the exact date. It was very early in the year 2000 that I start that I started teaching. I taught my very first private lesson. I know it was like mid to late January of 2000. And, um, I was 24 years old at the time, and so we're coming up on the 24th anniversary of that, which means, as I said at the very beginning, that I'm going to reach that point where I can say that I've been teaching for about half my life. Actually, if we're going to go by the month, it's going to take a little while longer just because, uh, you know, I ha- I did not just turn 24 when I started teaching, so I really should find that point to where uh, probably... It's probably more like seven, eight, nine months, uh, without a calculator, I, I'm not able to do this right now. This is still kind of early in the morning as I'm recording this. But if we do some rounding, we can say that I have now been teaching for half of my life. And there's a lot of things I've learned along the way, some and things that I would say that I did not do this from the beginning. And Maybe I didn't even do some of these things after I'd been teaching for 20 years. It's like some things I have adjusted in the last few, but there's some things that if you're thinking about becoming a teacher, which if you play an instrument well, if you sing well, it's not only an option to make some income, but it is a way of passing along what you know to someone else. It is a way to, to be of service. Now, it's not to say that this is something that you need to do. But it's something that I encourage every musician to at least consider. And I haven't talked much about teaching on here. And and really, it's the type of thing I would rather have guests come on to talk about the art of teaching. But these are things that I have changed about the way I do things that I have found help me to be a better teacher. So this is just eight tips. Um, I guess again, going with math, it's a, it's a factor of 24. So eight times three. So basically one tip for every three years I've taught. The first tip is to make sure that your space or your room creates accountability for yourself. And I put that on there because this is one of the more recent things The I teach in two locations. I teach in this very studio where I'm recording. I also teach at a studio at a local music store. And that space, depending on the student that I'm teaching, it's very easy for me to sit in a chair that is kind of behind the students. Now I'm at an angle where I can see what's going on with their hands and their feet and and I can also see the sheet music they're playing and, and so forth. So it's not a bad angle visually, but what it is a bad angle for is when it comes to accountability, because their eyes are on their music. Their eyes are not on me, not even in their peripheral vision. And so it is easy for me to on a whim, check my email or check, check my texts or, or, or something, look up something for later on. It could be a good situation, it could be a bad situation, but it's one of those things that has always been a temptation. And yes, it is more more demanding of you energetically to stay in full attention throughout the whole lesson. But if you're not doing that, you really can't be the best teacher that you can. You can't be the most engaged with students. And I do believe that the vast majority of students, they get that. They can tell when you're giving your your full attention to them or when you're distracted. So if the student can always see you while they are playing, even if it's just off to the peripheral, uh, that will help. Now, as I was saying this, I was just remembering, I had one young adult student one time that was extremely introverted and she actually <laughs> strongly requested that I do sit out of her sight. When she was playing she said she didn't feel like she could play otherwise um so yeah maybe depending on the student you'll you'll want to adjust that but for most students you're going to be at your best if you can stay accountable in the lessons so that's number one number two take time to plan all of your lessons each week including preparation of materials So what I mean by this is don't just wing it in each lesson. I did that for a very long time. I was like, what are you working on now? Okay, let's, uh, I think you should go this route. Now I think there's some merit to that. Just kind of improvising where to go next. It does leave you open to how the student is doing at the time. And you know, uh, one of the risks of planning what's next, is that the student may not be ready for what's next, so you do need to be flexible. But also, whether you teach 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour, you're taking up time to figure it out. So you need to know going into the lesson what's next. And not only that, if it involves creating some materials or printing something off or bringing a book from home or whatever, your lesson is going to go smoother, and you're going to look more competent, professional, and just prepared if you have all of that with you. So now there's a couple ways you can do this. You can take a portion of each day that you teach, look at the students you're teaching that day, and plan what each student needs in their lesson. What, What are you hoping to guide them towards next with the understanding that maybe they need to continue what they've been doing. But you want to know if they're doing well, this is what comes next, and if it involves these materials, print them out right then or schedule a time for you to do that. Now, the other thing, and this is what I do, pick a day early in the week and do this with all of your students. doesn't take as long as you think. It takes me anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour to go through my entire roster because I've done a lot of the hard work already by having a document on each student. So I really just have to update it and going from one week to the next, there's not a whole lot of updates. So your first time doing this, it might take a little longer than 30 to 60 minutes, but it is worth it to get that started to get that going. So you may not want to do that, but I like batching my time. I like sitting down and thinking about this just once a week. And then I have that file that stays open throughout every lesson where I can go peek at each student and I kind of know what we're going to be doing as we're going forward. So that's the second is plan your lessons in advance, including the materials that you need. The third thing is, as you've heard me say on a previous episode, I'm a big believer in quarterly goals. Set quarterly goals for each student. Now, this doesn't mean that you necessarily have to talk to your students about those goals. Maybe you want to, maybe that's a good idea. Uh, that is certainly individual for each teacher. I find some students do well if, when you're really open about that and others feel pressure, you know, that, that kind of gets in the way. So you kind of have to read each student and, and, uh, align that with your philosophy as a teacher. So I kind of go student by student, how open I am about this, but what would you as a teacher like to see them accomplish in the next three months. So when we're coming up on January, what does January, February, March look like? When you get to March 31st, each student one at a time. Don't take one student and give them a goal and expect that every student achieves that goal. And it could be something as simple as one student is just learning how to play a one octave scale. Well can they take that key and can they get it up to a certain tempo? can you challenge them in a certain amount of time like maybe in within one minute play that one octave scale up and down eight times without a mistake if they're learning to read their notes can you take them to a note reading game like musictheory.net and have them identify 100 notes correctly within three minutes so don't pick a lot of goals these are quarterly goals pick a big one i would say pick a big one Pick maybe one or two small ones, but do that for each student. So that's number three, set quarterly goals for each student. Number four, kind of related, you need to accept that most students are not likely to become professional musicians or even close. Now, if you're a parent listening to this, I hope that this is not a rude awakening, because I think maybe most parents have higher hopes than even teachers. So this may be something that I'm saying to parents more than teachers, but I think I am talking to teachers too, because I know I would be talking to myself several years ago. There's this thought, you're teaching because most likely you are a professional musician. It's probably hard for you to imagine taking lessons without not only the real desire, but the real aptitude to become a professional musician. Now, part of that aptitude comes from the desire that pushes you to do the work consistently year after year and it also excludes you from wanting to do some other things. So it's hard for you to become a great performer while you're devoting a lot of your life to other activities. And a lot of times this is the the child's choice, but sometimes it's, and more often than not, it is the parent's choice. But you're going to have some students that struggle with things that you think are pretty basic. But here's the thing, they deserve just as much of your attention and your energy and your caring attitude as a teacher as the student that you recognize is probably highly likely going to become a music major and become a professional musician. They deserve just as much. Because music, as I hope all of you will agree, is beneficial even if you don't become a musician. There are lessons you learn in music from overcoming adversity, from collaboration, from just using two sides of your brain, because you have to think analytically, but you also have to think artistically, learning a a physical coordination, most likely with your fingerings, with your, uh, if you play a wind instrument, with your mouth. And most likely, unless you are teaching at a university and you're, uh, you're a prestigious teacher and you've reached a point where you only accept certain types of students. I think I'm talking to most teachers and I'll say that most students fit this type. And if you push them to become more than what they're willing to do, you may lose that student from music. Now I know that many teachers will argue about this. This is, again, these are not lessons that I think every teacher should do this and they'll become a better teacher. These are things that I found that I had to do to become a better teacher. I had to accept that not all students are equal in terms of aptitude, nor ambition, but I need to give each one the same amount of care and attention. Number five talked about setting goals each quarter for each student. You should set quarterly goals for yourself. Now, I hope that you do that anyways, as a a musician, as an artist, but you should do that as a teacher. So think about, are you going to schedule a time to have a masterclass? You're going to schedule a group. Are you going to schedule a group workshop? Are you going to schedule a performance? Notice I'm not even really talking about business goals. I'm not talking about marketing or anything like that. those those are separate. But what is something that you want to accomplish as a teacher? You don't have to do this for each student. Just what do you want to do with your overall studio over the next three months? Take time once a quarter to figure that out. Number six, you should 80 20 everything about your studio each quarter. Including performance opportunities, group lessons, and master classes. Now, that's kind of related to number five. We talked about quarterly goals for yourself. Those are just general. This is a very specific thing. If you're new to the podcast or if you're new to this concept of 80 20, it's often known as the Pareto Principle. It's something that I highly find useful in every aspect of my life. And that is the principle, the belief. That 80% of your success comes from 20% of your effort. And alternately, 80% of your stress comes from 20% of what's going on. So it's looking at when you're teaching, what is 20% of what you're doing that is really pushing the envelope for what you want to accomplish as a teacher and do more of that and do less of everything else. Or if you are feeling stressful, try to find the 20% that's getting in the way and get rid of it or minimize it. The last two tips that I'll offer that helped me become a better teacher. uh, These are all a little bit more on the business side, but not really. We're not really getting into business today. But number seven is you need to charge a rate that inspires you. This is maybe a little bit different than thinking about charging what you're worth, charging what the local market dictates. What is the rate that you feel like you could get some clients that will pay this rate that when you're in a lesson and you're having a hard time, you don't think to yourself, "Oh, I'm doing this for X dollar amounts, but instead you're able to smile and look, these people are paying you this amount to be a teacher and it inspires you to be optimistic, to be the best teacher that you can be, to, to take that time to, to plan your lessons, to become a good teacher. Because if you're not making a certain dollar amount, and of course this is entirely individual what that is, if you're not making the income that that passes that threshold, you're going to think to yourself, why bother? You're going to think to yourself, why should I spend this extra time? And so consequently, you won't be a good teacher. So this may sound a little controversial, but I I really do think this is true. I I don't think anybody would argue that better teachers charge more, but I also think charging more makes you a better teacher. And number eight is when you're planning your schedule. I know it's tempting, especially, and this is the other thing that that charging more will do. It will reduce the pressure of how many students you have to have each day. So that leads me to my eighth tip, and that is to make sure that your schedule includes breaks, both short term and long term. So what I mean by short-term breaks is I accidentally discovered this with one day where my standard lesson length is 45 minutes. And somehow I got, I started scheduling each student at the beginning of the hour. So instead of like 3 o'clock, 3.45, 4.30, 5.15, it was 3, 4, 5, 6. It's probably one to two fewer students per day than I could fit if I just went back to every forty five minutes. But you know what? It is so nice to have that fifteen minute break where I can get up, I can go walk outside, I can think about anything else. Uh I could go use the restroom. And there's no thought in my mind, I'm cheating this student out of three, four, five minutes. Yes, they probably will understand if you need to do that. I've never had a student when I've said, I need to go use the restroom, say, Well, are we gonna make up these three minutes you're gone? Never once. But when you know that that's not even a possibility of becoming a first time thing, when you know you you can just get up, you can walk out, you can refresh your mind, and hey, you're just walking around, getting a little bit of exercise in, you know, because one thing we musicians, we have a problem with is we sit down too much. My chronic lower back pain reminds me of that every day. I'm sitting down to do this podcast, I'm going to be sitting down to teach later on, be sitting down to practice. I sit more hours per day than I sleep. On many days so any chance that I can take to stand up and walk around is good for me so I hope that something on this list will be helpful whether you've been teaching for a while or you or you're just getting started or you're thinking about becoming a teacher I'll go over these one more time one make sure that your room your setup creates accountability for yourself to be at full attention in the lesson number two take time to plan your lessons at least once a week including the time to prepare the materials that you need for each student. Number three is set quarterly goals for each student. Number four, accept that most students are not likely to become professional musicians and give them the same amount of attention based on where they are. Number five is to set quarterly goals for yourself. Number six is to 80-20 every aspect of your teaching when you set those quarterly goals to find the 20% that's doing 80% of what works best. Seven is to make sure that you're charging a rate that inspires you to be the best teacher. And number eight is make sure that your schedule includes breaks, short term and long term. I knew I almost forgot something, long term breaks. What if you took a, you know, not only took vacation every now and then, but what if you intentionally took a week off of teaching so that you could do these quarterly goals, so that you could take time to do this planning. Give yourself a little bit more breathing room so you're not always teaching all the time. I think you'll be a better teacher. I know that I'm a better teacher when it's not week after week after week, but there's a little bit of a break in there. And uh, for that reason, I've tweaked my policy to account for that. We could talk more about that when we talk about business of teaching, which I know will probably happen at least once next year. Let me just ask you, if you're a teacher, what is something that you have learned that makes you a better teacher and I would invite you to tell me that story with your own voice by going to speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit or you can leave me a message on instagram at david lane music or facebook at david m lane music or wherever you follow me on social media and you can also go to my website at DavidLaneMusic.com. there's a contact form on every page and the last thing that I've learned that that I would offer that has made me a better teacher this is the bonus is to have an app to have a service that collects payments for me that I never have to do an invoice and that allows students to schedule themselves. And that app that I use is called Fons, And I share a link each episode in my show notes where you can get a free trial. So feel free to check that out. They keep adding features every, every month. I have a marketplace that includes SEO. A lot of good stuff out there if you are a teacher. That's going to wrap it up for episode number 52. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with you again next week.